So, good morning. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 25 this morning. thought I'd start out by just sharing a little story, something we probably all relate to. You ever have trouble getting your bill fixed at a company and you make the phone call that you sort of dread where they ask you for your account number, you say it, and then it, it kind of says, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? I didn't hear it. And you finally get to a human. First question the human asks you is, can I have your account number? And you're not frustrated because you know that's the way it's going to go. And you're ready for this phone call. And then you talk to them for a while, and they go through the whole process, and then they say, I'm sorry, I'm not the right person to talk to, and they transfer you to somebody else. And about the time you get that person, and they ask you for your account number, you're kind of losing it, you know what I'm talking about? And then you talk to that person for a while, and they drop the call accidentally, and you sort of snap. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but occasionally that will happen at my house. And I'll have the phone on speakerphone, and so my wife has been paying attention to the conversation. And at this point in the conversation, I'll look at her, and on her face will be like a a little bit of excitement, or maybe anticipation, because she knows something's about to happen. And I'm calling them back. And I get them on the phone, and now I'm on the phone, and I'm not exactly in a really good place right now. And the look on my wife's face will sometimes turn to a little bit of embarrassment. For the person on the other side of the phone. And if it's a really bad day, I will admit, there's times when I think she starts to think, I need to intercede for this poor person on the other side of the phone. (laughs) Today in 1 Samuel chapter 25, uh, Abigail, we're going to be introduced to a beautiful woman, Abigail, both inwardly and outwardly, who feels she needs to intercede for her husband, Nabal. And she does it in such a gracious way. It's such a a great uh, encouragement to us. Would you pray with me and we'll look into 1 Samuel chapter 25. Father, you know our hearts. You know that we easily snap sometimes. You know, sometimes we get exhausted or somebody like Nabal or somebody who's just a person who just gets under our skin and we snap. Lord, we pray that as we read this story and we see what a gentle, soft answer that Abigail gives to David and David's response, how he's broken and he humbles himself. And you actually protect David from doing something that he shouldn't do through, through Abigail's gentle rebuke. Teach us, Lord, through your word. Minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the background of 1 Samuel chapter 25 is that Saul, he's got a real problem with jealousy. I mean, kind of all of us do, right? Envy, jealousy, we got to have whatever's new and Uh, Saul, it's so bad that he is so far away from God because of this jealousy and this envy for David that now Saul, in this passage, in this context, he's chasing David around trying to kill him. And David has now gotten together with 600 men. He's in the wilderness. He's kind of traveling through the wilderness. And at this point in our context, Saul's ministry is really coming to an end. The end of 1 Samuel is when Saul dies in battle. And it's really the height of David's career as it grows and reaches its height. And then David's career also takes sort of a dive at the end. So let's begin in 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse 1. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him, and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Samuel was a great leader. He was a godly man. He was the link between judges And kings as a prophet in between those two changes of leadership. And and with his death, David is now driven farther into the wilderness. A little bit like Samuel might have protected a little bit of Saul from 
getting David. So David now, he heads farther into the wilderness. Verse 2, now there was a man of Maon whose business was in Carmel. And the man was very rich and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And the, man, the name of the man was Nabal. And the name of his wife, Abigail. She was a woman both beautiful inside and outside. She was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. So this guy's really wealthy. I mean, 300 sheep would have been a wealthy man. He had 3,000 sheep. The shearing season is this incredible, exciting, fun celebration time. They're shearing the wool. They're getting paid for the wool. It's a time when there's an expectation of fun, excitement, and generosity. Abigail, who's both beautiful inside and outside, she's one of the few that are really, we're told that about. Esther and Rachel are the other beautiful women that are specifically outlined in Scripture. And as we go through this story, would you watch to see Rachel or Abigail's understanding of biblical history? She's going to do some things and say some things that you're going to just see that she really knows what went on biblically in the history. Nabal, harsh, evil. Um, evil it means he's badly behaved. Badly done. Poorly done, Nabal. Badly behaved. His name also means fool. I'm hoping that's not his first name. His mom didn't name him that. Um, Maybe it was his nickname, maybe it was his given name, I'm not really sure, but his name means fool. And as we begin verse 4, it's going to get a little complicated, okay, because this is not how we function. Verse 4, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name, and thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your house. And peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them. All the while they were with, while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. This is what's a little hard for us to figure out. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. So David's not with Nabal right now. David sent 10 men. He's got 600 men. And he says, hey, my men, we're taking care of your shepherds. So I'm asking you to just give us anything you want to give us. It's this great celebration time, whatever you want to give us. We're uncomfortable with that, right? I mean, we don't want someone to come start doing some sort of project in our front yard and then come to our door and go, that'll be $185. We want, to, we want to set a contract and then do the work. So this is confusing, but in the context, in that culture, it was similar to when we go to a restaurant and we pay the waiter a tip. Okay, now we contract with the restaurant for the linguine. It's $14.95, we're going to pay that, that's a contract. But the waiter, it's kind of not a contract, but it's expected. And in this culture where there were no police officers, there was no UN nation there. We were just in Israel in the Golan Heights on our last mission trip and uh, visiting our missionaries that, are doing, that were doing medical work in Syria. And you could look out of Golan down into Syria and you could see the demilitarized zone where the UN buildings were. In this particular case, this is dangerous in the wilderness and David provided a service where he, where he took care of the um, shepherds. So it makes sense. And then uh, Abigail and the shepherds were all saying, hey, we should pay David. 
David, David's men did us a service. So the men are standing before Nabal. They're waiting to hear from Nabal. Um, what are you going to do? We've been, you've been asked to give any gift that you want to give to the men that deserved, that were in their culture, deserved to get a gift. Verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants and said, totally um, insults David. He says, who's David? Nabal, the guy whose name means fool. We've kind of been introduced to him as a person who's evil and badly behaved. He says, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? And then he calls David a, a runaway slave. David, the anointed to be king of Israel. Abigail knows he's to be the king. It's very unusual that, it would be unusual that Nabal didn't know exactly who David was and know his character. But he says, there are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. And then listen to the, the personal perspective of Nabal with all this wealth. He says, shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shears and give it to men whom I do not know where they are from? There's just an attitude in Nabal that is just really small and... Um, we're going to see how this turns out for Nabal. Verse 12, so David's young men turn on their heels. I mean, they've been insulted too, because this is their leader, David, that's been insulted. There's 10 men. They're now heading back to David where there's 600 men. They've been insulted by Nabal. They come, it says, and they came and told him, David, all these words, and David snaps. David says, every man gird on his sword. So I taught this, the first time I ever taught this passage, I was in a Bugletti village in Panama, and I was studying the scriptures in Spanish, and the way it says it in Spanish is todos a las armas, everyone to the weapons. And I, and I, I remember that being meaningful to me because it wasn't just everyone to the sword, which it says in English, but it was to the weapons in general, which is what we do when we get angry. We have a, a set of weapons that we go to whether it's words or silence. <clears throat> Just a note as we're talking about that in Spanish, I don't know if you know it, but there's a team that translates every, every 11 o'clock service into Spanish. And so they get our notes in advance, they spend time translating it, and then they listen to the service, the first service, and then they translate it for the second service. So right now there's a group that are translating and with the audio phones folks are listening in Spanish. Anyway, David says, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword. I'm, sword. I'm in verse 13. And David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. David snaps and is ready to kill Nabal and his household over being insulted. David's been holding it together with Saul. I mean, if you read the context of chapter 24, even the verse chapters right before this, Saul has been eating at David and trying to kill him and trying to get him and trying to get him and trying to get him. And David has been having amazing self-control. And, and not taking vengeance on God's anointed. I don't know what it is here. I don't know if it's exhaustion, because I know we snap when we're exhausted, right, when we're tired. Or maybe it's this Nabal guy. Like, we all have a guy or a girl or a woman like that in our lives. Somebody who just, their personality just gets under our skin, and, it, and we feel like we can't take it anymore, and we snap. We do or say something that we shouldn't do. So David loses it. I am fascinated with um, studies of the brain and how it relates to anger. I've read a little bit. I mean, I, I don't understand it clearly, but I'm fascinated with this whole anger issue because, I mean, personally, I've struggled over my life at different times, but there's a, there's a part of your brain that we know from kids when we were in school that's the fight or flight, right? And sometimes that part of the brain 
sort of overpowers the prefrontal cortex. I might be making it up. I read it, but I'm probably making it up as we go here. But it overpowers the front of the brain. You guys that know what you're talking about can correct me later. But the part of the brain that is really good at, at making wise choices. And as I've read on it, it's not just, it's called the limbic system that is this part of the brain that's fight or flight. And it also has in it the emotional memories that we have that are stored in that part of the brain that's not a good part of the brain to make moral choices. And I think possibly at this time, I don't know, but for us, when we snap and we're angry, that part of the brain that has all those memories of emotional stuff in our heart, in our brain, kind of overpowers the part of the brain that makes good, wise choices. And that's a dangerous place to be in. I don't say that to justify our anger or whatever we do, but it is a hard place to be in. It's hard to get out of that. So um, David's about to risk being disqualified for the throne. I mean, David's, David's scheduled to be the king of Israel. And now he might be disqualified because he goes and slaughters his family because they didn't give him something or they insulted him. And he's about ready to do that because it's, he's not thinking right. And uh, so let's look, at, let's look at verse 14. We'll see what happens at this point. So one of, young, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, I'm in verse 14. Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master. They're telling him what happened. Abigail's finding out what happened. And our master reviled him. Our master insulted him. Verse 15, but the men were very good to us. David's men were very good to us. And we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall both by night and day, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. They protected us. Verse 17, now therefore no one consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household. And then this is really interesting. This is the servants talking to the wife of the master. And this is how the servants talk to the wife. For he, your husband, is such a scoundrel that's a son of Belial or a son of worthlessness that one cannot speak to him. We're going to talk a lot about that for a little bit because we all, come on, we all, we all are that person sometimes. He says he's such a scoundrel that, he, that no one can speak to him. And then Abigail, verse 18, made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed. You read through this amount of stuff she had in the pantry just ready to grab off the shelf. Clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, loaded them on the donkeys. And she said to her servants, this is really important, go on before me. Remember what uh, Jacob did with Esau. This is Abigail's insight into biblical history. She remembered that Jacob, Esau was so mad at Jacob. Jacob was so afraid that Esau was going to just be really mad because he had tricked him. He sends the, the presents on in advance and then he comes afterwards. Abigail understands the, Bible, or the biblical history. Send, go on before me, I'm coming after you. But here's the part that we're going to talk about even more. But she did not tell her husband. So let's have a nice relaxing conversation about when you lie to your spouse. Okay, let's just, just settle into your seats this morning. We're going to talk about when you lie to your husband or when you lie to your wife. Now, at, at almost 60 years old, I have the vantage point of being able to look back and, and know that there are certain periods of my history that 
everybody knew something except for me. And I know why, because I was, and we are at times, that person that no one can talk to. Sometimes it's with our kids. We love our kids so much, we, we would do anything for our kids. But no one can tell us anything. Because we just, we, don't tell me, I know what I'm doing. I mean, we just become that person that no one, talking about dating, talking about different things. I can remember seasons where you just couldn't talk to me. Sometimes we're that way because we're just stubborn. We've made up our mind on a subject. I'm not going to eat whatever kind of food you want to go to the restaurant. This is it. And we're just stubborn. But we're that person. So we're talking about lying to your husband or wife. I read a joke that I thought would be appropriate about husbands and wives that were not honest with each other. So a husband and wife, they weren't married yet. They get engaged. They get, they're on their honeymoon night. And... They haven't been fully honest with each other. And the husband has been holding back the truth that he has really smelly feet and his socks are so bad, but he's been able to hide it for all the dating years. His wife, on the other hand, has had a challenge with bad breath so bad that she'd been hiding it with breath mints and everything else. And they, they get to their honeymoon and the wife is overwhelmed with conviction. She says, I just, honey, I need to, I need to be honest. And he turns to her and he says, did you eat my socks? Yeah, I, I kind of I thought we needed that because the subject of dishonesty in a marriage is so difficult. I mean, we know the foundation is, is, is honesty. There is nothing in your marriage, in my marriage, that, that can withstand dishonesty. But our lives are complicated. And in this passage, we sort of understand what happened for Abigail. Life is complicated and there is dishonesty in marriages. And I think today, my, my point, one point is, hey, if there's something in that in your marriage, today, before the day's over, sit down with your spouse and say, hey, I haven't been fully honest with you. Did you eat my socks? <laughs> to just be, be fully honest. And here's what happens when you're fully honest with your spouse. Or this could work with your teammate or your dating or your coworkers. It builds great trust. If you say that, it, all of a sudden they're like, wow, I can totally trust you because you really do want to be honest with me. So, and I don't think the point is that um, Abigail lied to her husband. I think the point is her husband provoked her by being a person who you couldn't talk to. She, he, now, it's not a justification, but we can provoke people. There's a book called Crucial Conversations that I've read that has been super helpful for me. And it talks a lot about sometimes people that, that are that way that you can't talk to. They sort of make it so the pool of knowledge isn't filled up because people can't say what they really think because we just, you can't talk to us. We'll shut you down. And the pool of knowledge is really important. And if there's a team or a family and one person in the family feels like I can't say anything because this person is somebody I can't talk to, their information that's so critical to taking the family to the next level or the team, the pool of knowledge isn't filled. So it's really important that we're not like Nabal. So anyways, we'll move on. But notice that, you know, there were 200 loaves of bread. I mean, she just went to the cabinet, got 200 loaves of bread. That's sort of indicative of how, how really messed up Nabal's mind was. Verse 20. So it was when she rode, as she rode on the donkeys, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under the cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, 
I mean, David's ticked. Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. Nothing makes us more angry than when somebody does something mean to us when we've tried to do something nice to them. Understandably, David is angry. The facts are correct. Nabal responded with with evil for David's good. And then David's conclusion is what's so off. We get angry, we something happens, and we conclude that we're going to do this horrible thing. We're going to totally overboard. David says, may God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. David had his facts right. His anger, although it wasn't correct, it was understandable. But his vengeance was completely wrong. And we know that. So verse 23 Now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. And so she fell at his feet, and in in one sentence, she completely disarms a ticking time bomb. One, One sentence. She says, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. My husband totally, totally erred. He totally blew it. Put that on me, David. And David, David's just broken. David's just right to his heart with this gentle answer, David is broken. And she says, and she says something really interesting, because when somebody's angry and they're in that state where they're not thinking right, she, she asks permission to even share her ideas with him. She says, um, and please, I'm in verse 24, and please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. She, she breaks David's heart. Look at, um, I'm not going to jump around too much. I think some of the slides might be on the screen, but 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Exactly what's going on with Abigail, only better. Abigail's completely innocent. She didn't do it. Here we have Jesus Christ, as we're looking forward towards Easter, the just for the unjust suffered on the cross, that he might bring us to God. And that's really why we gather here. I mean, that's why we're here this morning, that we might be brought to God. And if you're here and you've never understood that simple truth that Jesus died on the cross in your place, the unjust or the just for the unjust, I encourage you at some point afterwards, there'll be folks at the tables to pray with somebody. Pray with somebody to receive Christ as your Savior if you've never done that. So 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit. And I'll read Luke 23. You don't need to turn there. I think we might have that on the screen as well. 23.33-34, looking forward to Easter coming up in a few weeks. When they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and one other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Abigail is so graciously saying, hey, Nabal, I'll take Nabal's sin on me. Even more so, Jesus is that way with us. And I think the, the part that I would bring out of this the most is that there's a gentle answer. Um, look at Proverbs 15.1. And here's the thing about Proverbs 15.1. Who wrote it? We don't know exactly. I mean, I've read a little bit. I'm not sure we know precisely who wrote it. 
but, but a lot of folks think it was probably um, Solomon, David's son. So it, could Solomon have written this and not thought about the story of Abigail? Solomon's penning this. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There's so much power in, in having wisdom when we're talking to each other, especially about heated issues, to have a soft answer. And it's very likely that David's son, Solomon, wrote this. Okay, let's keep going. Abigail continues. She's explaining now to David in the next few verses about she understands that David's called by God. And she's so different than Abel. Verse 25, please let my Lord regard, let my, please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. His name literally meant fool. So she's saying what his name meant. But I, but I your maidservant, did not see the young man of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand now, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now, now this present which your maidservant has brought to you, my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. She's got these donkeys full of 200 loaves of bread. Let these gifts be given to the men and please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. For the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you. She's talking about Saul, who's just wearing David down to seek your life. But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord. I I read over that, and I thought that didn't mean much to me. If you look into that, it means, like when you have a precious vase, and you go to ship it or package, you put it, you bundle it together so it won't get injured. Abigail's saying, David, God's going to protect you. He's going to put you like bubble wrap around your life. In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out. Here's again Abigail's understanding of biblical history. Like David in the sling, David's listening to these words and it's, it's impressing him. She's, he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you. And has appointed you ruler over Israel. This is what's so cool. There'll be no grief to you nor offense to, to your heart. Your conscience isn't going to be on you. We all, we all have regrets, especially as we get older, right? Wish I had listened to somebody. Wish I had not made that decision. And Abigail just is saying, David, listen to this, listen to this advice so you don't regret it later on in your life. Or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. So let's, let's look at a little bit of what I think pushed David from that limbic system out of control back into thinking clearly. I think it was things that were hidden in his heart from the word. Like the verse that we know, I think it's on the screen as well. Romans 12, 19, talking about vengeance. Obviously, David didn't have Romans 12, 19. This is the Old Testament. Romans 12, 19 is on, for us the verse that we, we think of when we think of vengeance Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. When we own it, it becomes bad. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And then look at the next verse, because I think what this verse, or this particular idea was available to David, because this is the song of Moses. Song of Moses, when the Egyptians were trying to put him back into slavery, it says, vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time. 
for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. So those are verses that I think David had, or those are um, some things from the life of Moses that David had access to. And, 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 Ab, and Abigail just is really trying for David to help him to not have regret after the fact. So let's go to verse 32 and we'll see David's response. I know there's a lot of verses here, so I appreciate you guys being, uh, staying engaged. Verse, two, verse 32, then David said to Abigail, and, and this is really the side of David that we see that made him such a great man. He's angry, and, and he's not standing just in front of Abigail like a little private conversation where he's going to humble himself. His 400 men. I mean, really, that's when we get the most problem is when we're doing something because we're afraid of what others are thinking about us. We're terrible that way, right? If there's a group of people and they're watching us, we might make a decision because we don't want to lose face. David is there. Abigail is in the road. And David responds and says, I love this verse, verse 32. David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. It's just like he recognizes this is not just some advice. This is God himself interrupting me in what I'm about to do. Thank you, Abigail. God has sent you. Verse 33, and blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left. So David received her from his hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. I've heeded your voice and respected your person. That's what makes David great. So I want to make a few applications, and, and then we'll close our service this morning. But the last few verses in the chapter explain the end of the story. Um, Abigail goes back to talk to her husband. He's been partying all night. He's been drunk. He kind of sleeps it off. He wakes up the next morning, and, and Abigail explains to her husband, hey, we almost the entire place was almost wiped out because of your decision, because of your, your rudeness. And it says Nabal had a heart attack or had a, his heart was frozen within him and he passes away. And then later in the chapter, David proposes to Abigail and David and Abigail get married. So I want to make five applications. The first one is that there's hope for us. David and Nabal are not really that different. It's not like David's perfect. Nabal's a scoundrel. It's like we're somewhere in that continuum. We're, we're, like, we're like Nabal. We're like David. We're... We're just human beings that have struggles and we have difficulties. But in Acts 13.22, this is what it said about David. He raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Here's a guy that got ticked off and was about ready to go do something stupid. David even does stupider stuff in his life. We can relate to David. It's not that David didn't ever blow it. He's normal. He's like us. He has issues. But there was a point where he recognized, okay, this is God's advice. And he humbled himself in front of his men. And he said, thank you, Abigail, for bringing me this message. So we have hope because we're like David. Secondly, I think for me the most, the thing that spoke to me the most in this last few weeks preparing this recognizing good advice is where, it all, is where the moneymaker is. 
Okay, because the whole process is kind of like a, a process we, we have the wisdom to recognize good advice. We have the patience to listen to it. And then lastly, we have the courage to respond. But the moneymaker is recognizing that it's good advice. When we're 14 or 15, we develop a skill that sticks with us for the rest of our lives. If there's any teenagers in here or youth in here, you can relate. This is the skill set where we look into our mom's face or our dad's face and we act like we're paying attention to every word they're saying when they're giving us unsolicited advice. And in our head, we're thinking, whatever. And that skill set we learn at 14 or 15 where we can look at our parent, act like we're listening, but basically we're blowing them off completely is something that sticks with us for life and, life, and something has to break us out of that where we go, hey, this advice is actually worthwhile. I think there's two things that, that make that happen. Number one, I do wonder if when David was right in front of Abigail and Abigail said, David, if you bring vengeance, on, if you take vengeance yourself, I do wonder if David didn't have in his inner core an understanding of the Bible that Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And it's almost like the counsel, the advice matched something inside of the word and a little safety bell went off like a stall whistle on a Cessna 185 that you're about to stall the plane. That just a little bit of a stall whistle that said, David, this is good advice. Pay attention. I believe that that's why the word of God, when we have it in our hearts, because it's not the courage to do things sometimes. It's not even the patience to listen. It's that we just sit and look at people like unsolicited advice, whatever, talk to the hand. We don't recognize it as worth as good advice. In this case, I think David had that. And then the second thing is, there's got to be an indifference in our heart about getting what we want. Like, just get out of the way. Get out of the way. I want all these things. But if I'm going to recognize good advice, there's got to be a dying to myself and a willingness to say, okay, I do want all those things, but I'm going to practice indifference and be really open to whatever God has. Third thing, and then there's two more and we're done for today, is don't provoke your spouse to lie. Okay? I think the, um, there are ways that we are the scoundrel. There are specific ways. I'm, I, I could probably list quite a few of them. I think sometimes we just don't listen that's the biggest one, right? I mean, husbands, when your wife's talking to you, does your, I've been married for over 32 years. Does your wife know when you're not listening? Like my wife, sometimes she'll look at me and, and she'll give me that look like, you, I saw you just tuned out just now, didn't you? And it's like you're busted. The scoundrel is not listening. Sometimes the scoundrel or the person that's impossible to talk to is, is defensive, argumentative. Sometimes what we do when we're a scoundrel is we exaggerate the facts and we selectively pull the ones up that fit our argument and we just bully. And I think there's really one of the main takeaways for me out of here is um, don't unnecessarily provoke your spouse, your husband, your friend, your coworker, your teammate to have to not be able to talk to you because you're, you're somebody that nobody can talk to. Thirdly, don't think we're too strong that we can't fall. Spurgeon does an amazing job on this. Like I read Spurgeon on this. Spurgeon says sometimes we're leaning into a temptation and not falling into it. We're, we're staying, we're fighting like a wind. We're leaning into it and we're fighting the temptation. 
and we sort of feel like I'm pretty strong because this is not blowing me over. I can handle this. But Spurgeon says something that I thought was so, so good. He said, sometimes all it takes is for that wind to move from another direction. We're caught off guard and it pushes us down. David got caught off guard. So don't think we're too strong. And then I think the worship team can come out here shortly. The last one is to surround ourselves with people like Abigail. So, you know, today we're, we're talking about our small groups that are starting out. Man, sign up for a small group if you can. Or at least consider it because that's one way to surround yourself with people like Abigail that will give you godly advice, will be there to um, help you to be like Abigail and say the things that are hard sometimes but in a gentle, sweet way. And then really the same part of that is not only to surround ourselves with Abigails but to be an Abigail. Um, I, was at the, I was at the train station or the train stop in Kent just about three days ago. I was kind of tuned out. I was, it was stopped. So you know when you're stopped, you basically figure that's your time to engage in whatever you're totally, totally disengaged from driving the car. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I was actually thinking about the Sunday and thinking what to say. And um, there was a car that was stopped on the tracks and the, the bar went down and the bells are going off and the train's starting to come. And I, it was about three cars ahead of me. And I just thought, well, you know, they know what's going on. They, they know they're just getting ready to take off. And I'm sitting there, and, you know, I'm watching. I'm kind of in the side of my mind thinking, I hope they know that. And somebody actually got out of the car that was in front and walked out to where that car was, knocked on the window, had them roll down the window and helped them. They, they couldn't go in front of the lane they were in. They helped them to get off their other lane and get into safety in the other lane. Abigail did that. Abigail was a person that helped someone else. So that's the last point is that we be in Abigail as well as surrounding ourselves with Abigail's. So let's go ahead and pray and uh, commit this to the Lord. Father, we just uh, we pray that the, the things that help us or keep us from being able to recognize good advice when we're kind of in that, that you can't talk to me mode, Lord, break through that. Lord, break through it with some deep understanding of your scriptures that are in our heart and we hear advice and we recognize like a a moment where we just recognize this is advice I need to stop. I need to actually pay attention to. I need to listen to it. Use um, people in our lives, God, to help us to, to change and to become people that fill that pool of knowledge in our families or in our teams where everyone is free to share what you've brought, you've given them, to bring it to the table and to share it. Lord, I ask that you administer to us and... Um, I thank you, Father, for your word. I thank you for this, this great example of humility in Abigail, but also in David, to be able to respond at the right time, even though it was very difficult. So we commit it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.